7.03 on a Friday. Sweet, sweet Friday. We got A-Dog head nodding in the background there. He likes these fat beats. I wish we had a producer yeah, cam. We really needed a camera. We're working that. on it. We need a dog cam. We will. Dog cam. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that dog in them. Speaking of dog. What? Speaking of dog. We got Chris Faber coming up. You need to finish this thought. I was... Passing it over to you. You were passing the baton? Yeah. The dog ton? No, you weren't. We to work on our chemistry. <laughs> the chew toy. Uh, <laughs> see, that's that's chemistry. He continued with the dog references. Uh, you are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show. Sans Bruff, just Halford. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. Hour two of the program. Chris Faber is going to join us in just a minute here to kick off hour two. Hour two. For real, he is. He's here. Yeah, he's here. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. He made it. Uh, Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle. You get paid. Uh, Finally, we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google re- reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. To the phone lines we go. It's the Redemption Tour. Canucks Army, Canucks Conversation. Chris Faber here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Fabes? I, I just want to talk about the cheap food for, like, I don't know how many minutes here. Absolutely. But I need to Take as much time this. as you want. I am very tired. It's early, and I'm more than excited <laughs> to get your thoughts on this. Okay, so I I don't know if this is the cheapest food, but this is what uh, this is what I had a lot in the second time I dropped out of university. This was like a, a meal that was you could always have. It okay. couldn't be that expensive, okay. and like I don't know, it was tasty every time. Like I could always eat this meal. It was you'd go to Costco and get those massive things of English muffins. There's like forty five to like sixty English muffins in there. Okay, and you just have that with peanut butter and then jelly sometimes, but a lot of time just peanut butter, like. You can eat it all the time. Like you do not get tired of having like a crispy English muffin with like melted peanut butter on it. And then if you're lucky enough to have milk at the time, but or like you might be too broke, but if you have milk, like then you're really talking about like a nice thing that you're excited to go down and eat for breakfast. What if you could only afford milk? It still tastes good then. <laughs> High in vitamin R. Uh, okay. I remember at the time. Yeah. Peanut butter's yeah. not uh, cheap. Well, Nothing. If you cheap. do it all at Costco, it's yeah. not horrible. Now you, you, and a lot of the texters are on, of the same ilk here because there's a lot of people coming in with the classic PB and J. You have an elevated one with the the bulk English muffin. The I like your answer, and I like there's some versatility there because you can just go straight peanut butter. In which case, you're like, this is a healthy sandwich. But if you add jelly, then you're giving yourself a treat, and there is versatility within the question. So that's a good answer. I like your answer. Well done. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that this actually probably worked out even better that you're coming on today because we can talk about the rare exclusive English interview that you did with Jonathan Lekromaki. Now, he doesn't do a lot of English language interviews in large part because the media that covers him majority of the time is Swedish, but you got a chance to speak with him. I saw your timeline. There's a lot of different takeaways here. Do you want to start with one of the big takeaways? Do you want to work chronologically? Do you want to address him addressing his sort of lackluster season thus far? Faber, the floor is yours. Where do you want to focus on from your interview with Lekaramaki? 
Yeah, I think, you know, obviously looking back at the year that he had in 2022, you you have the, the, the time where he had mono. You have him at the U18s putting up a ridiculous amount of points. He had the kid getting drafted with the draft combine before that development camp. Like, he, he had a really busy 2022. That's not even to mention, like, playing in two World Juniors, having a concussion, like, really went through a ton as well as adjusting to a league that he's never played in before. So like this, this kid has had a very tough 2022. Um, and he's at a point now, at least where he's been healthy and able to to continue to be a regular in the top of Jurgarden's lineup over there in the Alsvenskian. And listen, he hasn't been good, right? Like a lot of this season has not been very good for Jonathan LeCaramacchi has not put up a lot of points. Uh, just looking at it right now, like if you take away like his play in the J 20, he, he's not, putting up very many points at all. He's got three goals and six assists in the Alsvenskin. And one of those goals is a shootout. Like they just count that as a goal right. uh, in over there. Uh, so like it's, it's not been a great year for him scoring wise, but you would hope that maybe he was a little bit better at the world juniors didn't really show up. I, I think you can give him a little bit of a pass there. He was coming right off of a concussion. So this next year is huge for him. And I think the big takeaway that I had was it, it really sounds like he's not coming over here to the AHL or come okay. over here to play junior hockey. It, it sounds like he's going to stay in Sweden. And also like, uh, I asked this question, uh, just the other week to Cami Granado and they're very comfortable with them being at Jurgarden. It, it's a spot where like a lot of people will see Jurgarden in the second division. They'll be like, Oh, you know, like that's probably like some small town in Sweden. Like they're in Stockholm, right? Like it's, it's a huge organization that you can actually probably trust to, be a pretty good at developing a player in this situation. And it's not like Jurgarden's not giving him first minutes, like on the, you know, he's, he's on top line a lot of the time playing both wings power play time. So a lot of it is just about him, like actually producing now, because if he's going to stay in Sweden, he's going to stay where he's comfortable. He's got to start to produce here to make this look like he's actually developing instead of just getting opportunity and not seizing it because of the league that he's playing in or the players that he's with or something that just isn't working because there's too much skill here. You got to get him into a league where he's going to actually be able to use it. You know, it's it's interesting that you talk to members of the organization, Cam and Granato, about the comfort level there. And it is a very different scenario than, say, when Pod Colson was in the Continental Hockey League and you just didn't have control over the process really at all. And it sounded like they weren't super comfortable with the way that it was going. That was always the lure to get him to North America. Uh, like Ramaki, and he's got a good situation with his club team, but uh, I think the presence of Mikhail Samuelson is also a big deal. Did you get a chance to talk to him about that? Yeah, so he said that he talks to him on the phone about once or twice a week, and uh, I heard from another Swedish prospect who told me like they they really like having Samuelson start to come to these games because it's it's very different to watch a player and watch their tendencies on the bench, watch how they do things. I know one of the players joked and said they liked it because like you know the Samuelson will like call them out if they're picking their nose too much on the bench or like stuff like that. So actually having him like in the arena, I think is huge. Uh, and, and he's been around and been been used quite often and. and to be 100% honest, the Canucks haven't had that in the past. Like in the years past where I've talked to these prospects, a lot of them say like, you know, uh, oh, I get a call from Ryan Johnson or I get a call from Chris Higgins. And that wasn't a lot of, you know, it wasn't even that consistent. It felt like, like to me, it wasn't happening every week from the understanding that I have from talking to these guys. So they went a long time without actually having communication with the Canucks organization. Right. So they've made a massive improvement in that way. Just having Samuelson out there. Higgins actually even flew out to Sweden. Apparently he's gone out there a couple times. Um, so, so there actually is some development 
team members doing some work up there in Europe. And I think that's massive when you look at where the Canucks top prospects are at. Like there's a lot of them in Sweden. There's some of them in Finland. Like there's there's a lot of guys over there in Europe who need help developing. So it's really good to hear that, you know, Samuelson's actually being put to work in this role that he's in uh, with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, resources, right? The more boots on the ground you have, the more bodies you have in different places. Jason and I have talked about this before. Like if you look around at other NHL organizations, uh, it just comes down to quite often people power, like the the amount of individuals you can have. Where I mean, what's Samuelson's portfolio like? Like, there's got only got to be a handful of guys that he's working with because he's based out of Sweden, right? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Like, I I don't actually know. Uh, I'll have some conversations soon to see if he's helping with the guys in Finland as well. Like, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure he's at least had communication with like Yanni Yermo and Victor Pershon, but. It just feels like a lot of it, uh, like Hugo Gabrielson's an interesting one because he's not, he's kind of slid out of our top 10 over at Canucks Army right now for a prospect, but he was, you know, he missed a lot due to a shoulder injury. Uh, I'm sure that Samuelson had to be a guy that he could talk to just about anything about coming back from injury or whatnot. But uh, the thing that kind of keeps getting brought up, and this came up with, uh, with Lucas Forcell when I had a nice long conversation with him the other day, but he was saying like the, the thing that, kind of is being preached by Samuelson is not to get you know just get as good as you can where you're at the goal is the NHL right like right. the goal is to make the right improvements so that you can get to the NHL so it's a big reason why when LeCaramacchi talked about working with Samuelson it was like they're not out there shooting pucks like one-timers like they're out there and he's like hey you got to be like this on the boards you got to be like this in the corners these are the type of things you need to do away from the puck and that's Really good to hear because I thought Samuelson was really good at that when he was in the NHL. He was yeah. really good at kind of being a smart player, being good defensively. So if you think about that, I like that type of player out there with the development like of these young guys who have a lot of skill, but they can be really skilled and not be successful in the NHL. You got to kind of convert the two things together there. Uh, so I, you know, lots of good positive reviews from Mikhail Samuelson and the job he's doing right now out there. You mentioned Canucks Army organizational prospect rankings. You mentioned Jonathan Lekaramaki. So the obvious question now is, has Lekaramaki been overtaken as the Canucks' top prospect by the newly acquired Aturatu? Yeah, I mean, uh, quads probably won't like me giving this away, but I'm just going to, like, I'll just say, like, yeah, I... I think Aturatu is going to be like a number zero for us right now. Still got to watch a little bit more to really see where he's at. Okay. Uh, but even without that, we our rankings do have Jonathan LeCaramacchi passed by uh, Elias Pettersson, the defenseman. Okay. The way that he's playing in the SHL, everything that he looked like at the World Juniors, just everything he's done since being drafted has been extremely impressive. Okay. Like to come out at 18 jumping in the SHL, play consistent minutes. He had a good run there where he was like 16 minutes a night. You start to look at some of the analytics that he's doing with the control of Corsi and possession numbers and even the expected goals that he's putting up in the SHL. Like he, He's really doing a lot of things right, and I thought he kind of showcased that at the World Juniors where it was like you could watch that tournament that just happened, the World Juniors here, and you come out of that and see – like if if the guys on Sweden's back end were to improve, where would we look next year? And they all stayed. Like it looked like Pedersen was kind of his stock was rising. It looked like he's going to be a guy who really gets trusted for Sweden on the World Juniors next year to I think be like a top pairing guy. Like him and uh, and Axel Sandin Pelico, which will be interesting because now the Canucks have a pick in the ASP range to draft him as a defenseman. Like those two will probably play together. I think on the top pairing for Sweden. And yeah, we we actually have Elias Pedersen as number one, and I just think that he's had that much of an incredible season and skyrocketed in the prospect rankings. Well, at the same time, like Mackey really hasn't. So 
Yeah, we, we had a number one before uh, Atu Ratu came in here anyways. Um, very interesting. Did you guys ever come up with a definitive nickname for the other Elias Pedersen? I was trying to workshop like Pedersen 2, Electric Boogaloo. It didn't take off like I thought it was going to. But have, is there a consensus on what his nickname is going to be? I think a lot of people just like EP2. EP2 it seems yeah. like like DPD is what I go with. I, I think it's hilarious. Uh, so that's kind of what I rock with. I was telling Jonathan all these uh, nicknames, and he was having a good laugh at him, but he just said they just call him EP. Uh, but he said it in like, uh, he's like, but we do it in Swedish. So it's like Ilya Pia. And I was like, okay, like, I don't think that's going to stick here in North America. But like, you guys have fun over there with it. <laughs> We're speaking to Chris Faber from Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, a question did come in to the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket at 650-650, Fabes. They want to know about the future of Jeremy Colleton with the uh, hiring of Rick Tockett. And we've talked at length about the very, very impressive job that Colton's done in the American League. And I especially openly wondered and even opined that he might be the next logical guy. But if he's going to be, it's not going to be for a little bit because Tockett's in there now, obviously, and he looks like he's going to be for the next little while. Do you get the sense that Colton will just kind of be the coach in waiting for an extended period of time. Uh, do they still use him as a valuable tool to groom guys in the American League and get them prepped for the NHL? Or do you think think that he might look at this situation and say, my NHL future might be elsewhere? I'm going to guess that the best bet for him is to stay in the organization. I think that's the best spot for him to really set himself up for success because he's it's not like he's you know a 65 year old coach who's kind of getting near the end of uh, sure. the road or something like he's young and I think if he sets himself up correctly in this organization he'll he'll be a guy that can coach the Vancouver Canucks one day I think like he's if he puts in the work and it, it's not going to be two years in Abbotsford where they you know finish fourth in the Pacific it's going to need to be like they're dominating the Pacific division they have no excuses about a roster excuse me and then just you need to actually see like when he has a really good roster, what he can do with them. Can he go out and do something in the playoffs? I think once he gets to that point, it'll be great. But even as much success as we talk about in Abbotsford, they're still fourth in the Pacific. Like it's not like they're blowing away everyone sure. even in their own division. So yes, it, it's been exciting and he's done a good job with the young players. And I think that's a really good thing for him to have on his resume when he does start to get to applying for NHL jobs again. But I do think the best bet for him long-term would be uh, a team here and sticking with you know Vancouver and being able to have the knowledge of the organization, knowledge of a lot of young players that will probably be transitioning to the NHL at that time. Like, I could see it down the road. It'll just be, you know, it, we'll see what happens with talk at first. I know he's got yeah. he's got a couple of years we got to deal with, and then we'll see what happens after that. Um, we got another. God, the people love having Faber on the radio. So many questions coming into the Dunbar Lumber oh, text line six fifty six fifty. Alex wants to know: Can you ask Faber about the game night experience at Abbotsford Canucks games? I haven't made the drive out yet, but I want to soon. I saw they had a record crowd last week. I did not see this about a record crowd, but I do know that the numbers are up like sixteen percent in terms of attendance. And I haven't been out since the pandemic where it was, I mean, we were still masking up and it was a very sterile environment. So I didn't, I, I, I openly acknowledge I didn't get a chance. You're out there a bunch. Answer Alex's question. What is the game night experience like at a Canucks game? Abby Abbotsford that is. And how are the attendance figures doing? Yeah, I'll say the staff out there is incredible. I love dealing with everyone out there uh, in Abbotsford. They're just so good to be in, in nice and Panago pizza. They got those hot dogs out there. Everything and all that's really good out there. Sweet. But it, you do see some games where it's like 
right now it it, it kind of takes like uh, some sort of aside from the game special night to like really blast that place full of people and like make it like a, a big Saturday night game. And, yep. and I think, listen, it's the AHL. Like I, I watch the, the Coachella Valley Firebirds bring, you know, a few hundred people or a couple thousand maybe into like some of their big games or, you know, you watch some of these teams in the AHL and it's like, wow, I, like it is a very big difference from what you see, you know, in whatever it be like Colorado Eagles or San Jose Barracuda compared to what you see in Abbotsford. Like it is a huge advantage for an AHL crowd to have what you see out there in Abbotsford. It's loud. There's only, you know, the, the one kind of row of areas all the way around and it's, yeah, it's a loud place. Like mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> I always remember back to when the Canucks played the Oilers in that like preseason game out there that, that saw a lot of NHL players and just like the the players are standing there for the anthem, and you can just hear one guy like scream at Connor McDavid, like "You suck, McDavid!" <laughs> and it's like it's that kind of rink, right? It's like it's the rink that's it's small enough to like have your one voice be heard yeah. at a time in the ice if you can perfect it and kind of catch that glimpse of silence. But at the same time, like when the whole crowd gets going, it's it's good, and and I think it's growing, right? Like there's more buy-in. There's you know, more Vinny Arsenault jerseys being worn out there than there was last year. And it's just, it definitely, it's tough to come into a new city and have a team, but there's a lot of buy-in obviously from the Abbotsford crowd to watch good hockey. And I think people are starting to realize that it's pretty good hockey out there right now. So it's, it's good. It's great to hear that Abbotsford's doing well with that and doing a better job, I think in year two. Yeah. The team is averaging 4,983 fans per game. So basically 5,000 per. And I got a feeling that that number might increase in the second half of this season because of the roster that they've got currently constructed. I mean, you talk about it. It's Pod Colson, Huglander, Klimovich, Carlson, Aturatu is going to join the fold now. And you start to see that it's not just a bunch of journeyman NHL or AHL guys, that this is a, a core group that's going to maybe be in the NHL again this season. And the one name I always kind of keep forgetting to mention in this is Nils Oman. And someone, again, another question for Faber, texted into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. I think it's obvious to focus on uh, Pods and Hogue first, right? Because they're the the, the high-profile NHL guys. But we all, I do anyway, almost kind of forget that Nils Oman had a really good run at the NHL through the first quarter of this season. Now he's back in the American League. How has he looked? How has he fared since he's joined the Abbotsford Canucks? Yeah, he looks big, fast, all the same things that we liked from him at the NHL when he got up there. I think the part that's really changed in his game is like to see what he looks like when he has confidence and knows that he can like beat a goaltender on a shot. I don't think he ever had that in the NHL. Like, I don't think he ever came down the wing and was like, I'm scoring this damn goal and just shot the puck. Like that didn't happen for him. It was, you know, dump the puck in bang in the corners and then try and get it to somebody and let Joshua make a good pass into the front of the net. Like that's what it was early on when things were clicking for them. Now in the AHL, like when they were playing on that uh, Swedish house mafia line of the two Neils and then his, uh, uh, Linus Carlson as yep. the other winger like they were they were so much fun they were passing the puck around making you know good scoring chances for all three of those players all of them were equally getting shot opportunities and that was because Niels Amon looked like a different dude like he looked like a, a way more confident player in the AHL and I think I think like that's what you want right is that not just what you want a player in that situation to do at the AHL is just like look like he has confidence sure. and 
I really think they did that with him. I, I don't think it's going to massively make it. Do- I do think he like he'll when he comes back to the NHL, he's going to probably be that same guy, just maybe a little bit more confidence in his shot. But he's doing everything that you liked at the NHL level. He's doing all that at the AHL. Like he's he's a hell of a four checker. He's a guy with a really long stick, killing penalties, taking faceoffs, uh, doing all that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see when he comes back if the confident like if the level of confidence that he has in himself is really like impacting him at the NHL level as well as what it does at the A. So we'll see what happens with him. But uh, I am not. I don't think the Canucks are in like a huge rush to get him up. Sure. Right? Like I think they're, you could kind of hear it from Alvin in his last availability. Like he said, like he was talking about Pod Colson and guys coming up soon. Then he's like, ah, oh, and maybe uh, Niels Huglander as well down the road. And he didn't like indicate completely that Pod Colson's coming up. But like, I have to imagine uh, with the AHL going on their all-star break, like I think Pod Colson might be up here pretty quick too. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, with what's going on in the AHL, but I think it's it's time for Pod Colson to come up to like get some time under Rick Tockett. Uh, right. He's, I think he's reached the end of uh, what you want to see from him in the AHL. Like now he's down there shooting the puck seven times a night and going on the power play or being the guy on with the empty net who's on the right side half wall looking at the one timer to score the goal in a game where you need to tie it up. Like he's he's now done all that. Like he's done all that stuff in the AHL that you would hope that he would do. It's t- it's probably time to get Pod Colson up here unless you're really just letting him marinate and really trying to grow something from kind of past the point of what you had for an expectation of him doing down here. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. But I think Pod Colson's going to be up here pretty quick, too. Before we let you go, uh, Aturatu, I know that within the scouting community that NHL projections and comparables are tough and sometimes ill-advised because it puts weird expectations on the player and then of course everyone looks to say why isn't he like that but i'm gonna do this anyway because we got another question in Six fifty, six fifty. dunbar lumber text line uh he wants me to ask faber what current nhl player plays the game like aturatu i assume you're gonna get a better sense of this now that he's gonna be playing in abbotsford but based on what you know is there an nhl comp Huh. Yeah, I think, well, I don't think he's had the success, but when I watched um, Desperry Cook Candy Emmy in the AHL, like, yep. I've, I thought that he could really be something from the way he played in the AHL. Like he had, he was the guy who was, yes, he was a center, but he was getting a lot of shots off from the slot. So I'd kind of say like, if, if Cook Candy Emmy were to hit his potential, like, I feel like that's kind of a very similar boat sure. for Ratu. And, and it'll be interesting to see, because I do think that there's even a better shot uh, in Ratu's game for sure, but I don't know if he's going to be a good defensively as Koskaniemi uh, was. Uh, so, like, it, it'll be interesting to see, but I think that's one if I can make the comparable, just like if he were to hit his potential, they kind of feel like a similar player. Uh, I just don't think either player is close to their potential at this point. So that's kind of my guy just from watching him in the AHL. Faber, you are the best, bud. I'm glad that we got your alarm clock issue sorted out because people are responding and they love Chris favor so thanks for doing this bud we really appreciate it oh absolutely i'm glad i made it too i did the timer i did two alarms i did uh like the loudest song on my (laughs) alarm too i changed it from like the ringing to just like uh let the bodies hit the floor so like i like had to get up so that was good that's good attaboy appreciate it babes thanks bud have a good weekend yeah, see you guys. Have a good one. Yep. Uh, Chris Faber, Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We talked about this earlier as we're really doing the, the grassroots, salt of the earth. Let's talk to the common people conversations. How many alarm clocks, how many alarms do you have set in the morning? Now, this is a very dicey proposition for uh, this crew 
right now, the Halford and Bruff crew and Sportsnet 650, because we have to get up really early. And if we don't, it screws over the show and then thereby screws over a bunch of people's mornings who rely on our crazy hijinks. Andy, explain to me your alarm setup. What time do you get up? Uh, 4.30. Okay. And you go with you go with the iPhone? Well, yeah. I mean, I've had my phone alarm forever, but I mean, I've been doing mornings for a long time. Well, I guess nine years now. I guess that is a long time. Um, wow, nine years. Um, and uh, yeah, so I have the double setup. I, I have my phone and then I have my computer as well. Which also has an alarm. So what does your computer do? Is it like, hi, Andy, no, you're just, quite good yeah. at turning me yeah. on. Hello, Andy. Good morning. Uh, no, it's just a no. It's just a really loud, like a wooga alarm. <laughs> Please don't yell at me today, Andy. Yeah. Uh, what about what time do you wake up, laddie? Same as Andy. Four thirty. Four thirty. But I just do two iPhone alarms. That's enough for me. I I wake up on the first one, and then if I don't turn off the second one in time. My wife usually wakes up, and that gets her angry. So the, uh, I have to get that second alarm off. The the good life hack that someone's done is actually put your uh, phone alarm on, but then put it approximately 10 to 15 feet away from you, so you physically have to get up to no, turn right. it off. No, I'm, a, I'm a phone at night person, so I, unless I you, huck it across the room right when I go to sleep. You know, then, no. you know what I've got is an old-school metal alarm clock with the two bells and the little hammer that goes back and forth between them? Like a uh, physical alarm, a physical alarm wow. clock. Yeah, I wanted to go. It is so jarring, so jarring to wake up. Where did to. you buy that thing? Uh, I can't. I Am- got it as a gift. Amish country? Oddly, no, the Amish don't have clocks. Well, no, it's a, it's not electronic, <laughs> not right? It's just they a might. Piece of I metal don't know. You know what? They I don't use want a sundial. To, I don't like, want to insult our Amish listeners. But, like, they can get a hold of us, but I don't want to. <laughs> they don't have radios, bud. You're yeah, good. yeah. I think it'll be all right. We'll get the letter in a month. It's fine. Um, but. Uh, Horse drawn carriage delivers it. He's going to show up in June. <laughs> I got this letter from something he said back in February. Anyway, um, the old sc- the old school alarm clock will wake you up a thousand percent. It is very jarring. There's that moment where you wake up and you snap out of bed and you're like, I think I'm having a heart attack. So it may not be great, <laughs> yes. but you are a hundred percent awake. Okay, we're way up against it for time. I'll apologize ahead of time to our next guest. Randy Jand is going to join us live from the All Star Game in Florida. It's coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Seven thirty-five on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody! Sweet, sweet Friday. It is Halford and Bruff, minus Bruff, Jess Halford. It's the Halford Show on Sportsnet 650. The Halford Show was brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the Halford Show. I'm really working out the branding on this one, aren't I? Sounds clean. Sounds good. Hour two of the Halford Show. Brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Let's go to Florida. Joining us now, Sportsnet 650's very own. Uh, you hear him on the Canucks broadcast. You've now got him live in Florida. Randeep Janda here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Randeep? How are you? What's up, Mike? Um, I'm I'm going to apologize right now. My voice is a little deeper than usual. I'm in a very empty media room right now. So just to, just to give you a sense of what's going on in Florida right now, uh, the media is 
fully asleep right now after uh, celebrating a little too much last night. Uh, having been on the road for many of these, I know exactly what you're talking about right now. Is It's a long yeah, it was, me- media day at the All-Star Game. It was a long day. It is a very long day. And then everyone's looking to unwind. And you could find worse places to unwind than, you know, Florida. Uh, let's talk about that first. How's the trip sure. been? How's the area been? How's the weather been? So far, I know it's only been a couple days, but... Yeah, I know it's been awesome. It's uh, even just having the setting of an all-star game literally on the beach with yeah. the beach festival. They've got you know, multiple kind of mini rinks that are set up. They've got, you know, accuracy shooting uh, clinic uh, or kind of contest set up there. They've got the Stanley Cup, a bunch of activations. Just to have the hockey world literally set up on the beach is unreal with the open right behind you. And then pretty much every single hotel on the strip here has either hockey players in it, hockey media, hockey right. fans. So you're just walking up and down the street, grabbing breakfast, and then Kevin BXO walks by, or Elias Pettersson is going to his hotel, or you know Dylan Larkin's walking down the street. So it's a pretty unique setting. I don't think this sort of thing would happen in any other city in the NHL. So uh, it's been a while since I've been at the All-Star Game, but this one is probably the most unique one, just with the accessibility, but also the setting with just hockey on the beach is just a, <laughs> I never thought of it, but it is definitely a very cool thing. Uh, you mentioned Elias Pettersson there. So yesterday during media day, you got the one-on-one with Petey. Uh, video's up now at sportsnet.ca if you want to watch the full interview. But um, this is a very key figure, not just from a Canucks perspective, but a league-wide perspective. Because, I mean, it's hard to ignore that one of the biggest talking points about this uh, NHL All-Star weekend is the dynamic with Bo Horvat getting traded, becoming a member of the New York Islanders, but then getting to do that one last ride, that one last dance as a teammate with Pedersen at the All-Star game. I know Petey talked about this with you yesterday, talking about the influence that Horvat's had on his career. What exactly did Pedersen say to you about that dynamic? Yeah, that, that, uh, it was an interesting moment. Even before getting to the comments, uh, while Bo Horvat was doing his own media setup and his own podium, Pedersen had finished up his wrapping up, and as you can appreciate, Horvats went longer just because the media had so many questions for him about the trade. As Patterson was walking by, he kind of poked him. Um, and apparently that was the first time that it actually chatted or had a chance to interact since the trade. So a pretty cool moment there. But a little bit later on in my conversation with Elias, you know, this is a guy that essentially, this is a, you know, a player in Bo Horvat that was always there for me. He was always supportive. He could always tell me that he was, I was headed in the right direction. And, you know, not necessarily a raw, raw type of individual, but just keep doing what you're doing. You're going to get better. And, and that's kind of the stabilizing figure maybe within the locker room for Elias Pedersen anyways. So you could, uh, you know, see that there was that, that relationship. And, and even when talking to him about playing with Horvat for the last time for the, who knows what the future has in store, but you could tell it meant something to him um, just in terms of, all right, the last ride. And this is something... I think both guys are going to cherish because even in Horvat's scrum, he was extremely complimentary of, of Pedersen. So you can see there's a bit of a rapport there, uh, a bit of a connection. Um, Pedersen doesn't usually say very much, but you can tell there was a bit of feeling in that answer where to say, yeah, this guy's had a huge impact on my career. And you maybe don't see in the media very much, but behind the scenes, extremely supportive of Pedersen and what he's been doing the last couple of years. You mentioned the Horvat media availability. One of the big talking points from there was that he gave his vote for Pedersen to be the next captain and to inherit the captaincy from himself. Uh, that got a lot of play as well. It was up on NHL.com. I'm assuming that you also talked to Petey about the leadership group and his role in it. Did you go as far down the road as to talking about what it would be like for him to have a C on his jersey? 
Well, he never he didn't get specifically on that topic about C, but I did ask him about leadership, and I think there was one important part of that conversation that he brought up on his own that he said, I'll do what they want me to do, whatever they ask me to do. And, you know, you, hearing the Rick Talkett interview from yesterday. Where Randy, sorry, Randy, but I'm just going to jump in. We got a, a rough connection right now. You're cutting in and out on the call. So what we'll do is we'll drop the call. Uh, if you could find a maybe better dead zone in the media area. I know there's not a lot of people around. And then we'll try and reconnect. So Laddie will take care of that. Randy Janda joining us live from Florida here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, obviously, taking in media day yesterday, a pretty big deal because of the strong Canuck influence going on with all these other stories. Dylan Larkin getting asked about trades. Vladimir Tarasenko getting asked about trades. All these other guys that are showing up in Florida. The Canucks really kind of have taken center stage. Of course, former Canuck in the case of Bo Horvat. But this is going to be a talking point as we come back from Florida. Is going to be leadership, leadership group, next captain of the team. Rick Tockett said it to me yesterday when he was on the program. Bo Horvat has already kind of anointed Pedersen as the next captain. One big question will be, when does he wear that C if it is inevitable? We'll go back to Randeep now, live from Florida here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Hello, Randeep. Are we good now? Uh, I think we're good now. I popped Beautiful. out of the media room, so I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out in the lobby, so people might yell at me, but it's all right. It's no, good. you know what? It actually sounds pretty good now. Okay, so we were talking about Pedersen, the captaincy, your conversation with him yesterday. I'll just reiterate the whole thing to the listeners that might not have heard it. Horvat put his vote forward for Pedersen to be the next captain of the Vancouver Canucks. Did Petey talk about that specifically, like getting a C on his jersey? Did he talk about being part of the leadership group with you yesterday? He didn't talk specifically about the C, but he did talk about being more of a leader and growing to more of a leader. And I think a key part of that conversation was him saying that, hey, I will do whatever they ask me to do, whatever they want me to do. And that's something important where we heard earlier on in the day on your show that Rick Tockett, whether it's a C, whether it's an A, these guys, both him and Quinn Hughes, are going to feature prominently in the leadership group. So, you know, I think with that question that I asked, I didn't specifically ask him about the C, but he kind of leaned into that and said, hey, whatever the team wants me to do, whatever they need me to do, I will do. And just, you know, you know, we've been covering Elias Patterson all year long, going back for a few years. Um, you saw, started to see some of that maturity yesterday where even within, you know, the NHL world, he was kind of, you could see there was a maturity in the way he's acting. And even flying in yesterday, Mike, I found out that, he flew in late compared to other NHLers because he was in Vancouver, not in Cabo, not in Cabo, not in, you know vacationing somewhere. Right. He was actually in Vancouver working out for a few days, um, and he flew into Florida late. So you know, there's a maturity about him that I think excites a lot of Canucks fans, a lot of people in the hockey world, and you're starting to see that from a leadership perspective with Elias Pettersson. We're talking to Canucks color analyst Randy Janda here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Randy is live in Florida for NHL All Star Weekend, but Randy. Right after All-Star Weekend, the Canucks are right back in action. They play Monday. They are one of the first teams to get right back into action. So in a handful of days, you'll be back on the call, and you'll be calling a new member of the Vancouver Canucks, Anthony Beauvillier. Now, I know you got to do a ton of research for your gig. you got to find out about players, factoids, but you also got to know about their style of play. So in your research so far on Beauvillier, what kind of player are you expecting? And I guess we can even go down the road of where are you expecting him to slot in when the Canucks take on the Devils on Monday? Yeah, this is a, you know, an interesting player because, you know, you saw the friendship that he had with Matt Barzell and even they got pretty emotional uh, as he was getting traded out of there. But 
I think when he's at his best, he's playing with speed. He's a little scrappy as well. And that's something that uh, Beauvillier, I think, really lacked the last year or so in his, really, on his, in his progression and his, the way that he was playing. And he was just failing to make an impact in that regard. So I think when Anthony Beauvillier is playing his game, you're, there's, you know, there's concerns that is he sometimes too much of a perimeter player at times? Uh, when he's not feeling his game. I, I don't think you expect to see that from him in Vancouver. He's come in there motivated. He's going to be want to stick in the, the top six, which is you know why you trade for him. Um, so if I look at that, I think you know maybe a line with him and JT Miller, perhaps the Connor Garland would make sense, where you know what JT Miller is going to bring. He's going to bring that physical play. You know Connor Garland is going to be engaged. And I think having those types of guys on a line like that would engage an Anthony Bavillier right off the bat. So... Uh, this is a guy that I'd like. You know, I'd love to watch a little bit more tape. I've watched him over the years, but sure. you're you're kind of doing, uh, you know, research for the games that you're calling. But with Bovilli, I'd love to like focus and hone in a little bit more over the next couple of days here in Florida as we get back in Vancouver. But I'd like to see him play with Miller and Garland. And now with Bo Horvat gone, it's Miller time down the middle. Mm. Let's see what JT can do. But if you add a new winger with them, uh, is there a, a way to maybe add a little bit more speed, a little bit more abrasiveness uh, next to JT, and maybe bring the best out of him? And I think that'll bring out the best in Anthony Bavillier as well. Well, I'm glad you brought that one idea up because I think it underscores the options that Bovillier is going to have in Vancouver because the other logical landing spot is maybe he replaces Mikheyev alongside Pedersen and Kuzmenko. But in either scenario, uh, it's great for him because he's going to be playing with some pretty good players in a top six right off the jump in Vancouver, I would imagine anyway. For sure. And, you know, remember, he's coming from a system that, prior to this year, and even including this year, the goals for in New York were not great. And they haven't been uh, previously because you were looking at a situation that their system didn't open up. Elaine uh, Lambert tried to change that a little bit, but we know when you're 25th in the league in goals for, uh, you're not doing something right offensively. So he's going to get a, an opportunity to be maybe closer to that 40-point player that he's kind of teased being in the past. So, you know, you get an opportunity in that top six, and we know what the Vancouver Canucks can do offensively. And a lot of that was with O Horvat, but there's still so much talent in that top six. I think this is going to be a great opportunity for Bavillier. And let's remember, he feels pretty disrespected too, right? Mm-hmm. You're, they make a, a trade for a, a guy that's eighth in the league in scoring, and he's the guy, the only established NHL going back the other way to a team that's not doing well. So there's got to be a massive chip on his shoulder to say, all right, you threw me in this deal. I got to show the rest of the NHL world that I'm not, you know, I'm not washed up essentially, which is a strange thing to say about 25-year-olds. But that's probably the mentality he has to show. Yeah, uh, we talked to Rick Tockett yesterday, as you alluded to, and one of the things that I brought up was the team's penalty kill or lack of Mm -hmm. penalty kill. And, I mean, he fully acknowledged and agreed that it's been a massive struggle. And well before he got here, obviously, the last two years, it's been historically bad, like 50 years of tracking this thing bad. And, you know, we talked about what the solutions might be. He talked about personnel, which is something that I think might happen at the deadline, but more likely will happen in the offseason where you just get better penalty killers in the door. And then he talked about you know structure, formation, strategy, and the deployment of the guys that he's got at his disposal. So I know it's only a handful of games in, but you've been watching these games closer than anybody on the call. Have you noticed any, I don't even want to say significant changes, but things that might be different moving forward on this kill other than I'm not going to let my best players go do it? Yeah, I, I think the first two games, you saw them be really aggressive at the blue lines, right? And it was, it was a change in the sense that, you know, they sat back maybe with Bruce Boudreau a little bit, little bit more. 
However, in the first couple of games, what did we see? We saw those massive passing lanes where the theme passes were still going straight through. And, yep. and it felt like those, <laughs> those passing lanes were larger than ever before. It didn't look good. Um, previous, then after that, in the, the next game, you could see they, okay, they went back a little bit more, you know, a little bit more passive in, in that sense. The lanes did close up. So I, I think with this, here, here's the issue. When you don't have natural penalty killers, players that are based off of instinct, um, and you teach them something new, they're overthinking it. They're either overcommitting, uh, they're over, you know, just kind of relaxing. And really more than anything, uh, I think there's two things where if you don't play off an of instinct, if you're not blocking up those passing lanes, and you don't have natural shot blockers on your team, the PK is going to be in trouble. So the early changes, I think it's been more of, all right, we need to be aggressive at the blue lines, or we need to take away those lanes, or maybe sit back a little bit more because you're giving up too much. So I, I think that's where we've seen a lot of that activity, Mike. Yeah. But if you look at the way that they're playing, um, there's a lack of trust, I think, in general and defensively, but you especially see that on the PK. And the other thing is you just don't have guys that can block shots, and that's something that you're going to need. Even some of the worst teams in the NHL have good penalty kills. Look at the San Jose Sharks. Mm-hmm. They've been consistently in the, you know, the top echelon of that over the last year, and it's because they have the right personnel. The Canucks don't have that. We can try to make Oliver Ekman Larson a shot blocker, He's not getting in those lanes. We see that. You know, Tyler Myers is a big body, but he's not necessarily a shot blocker. You're going to really have to address in the offseason. And, you know, that's probably a bad thing for the penalty kill, which is sub 66% right now. But that's a move, and those are moves you make in the offseason. But I think you can make changes, as Talkin has tried to do structurally. But I just don't think it's in this, this you know, DNA of this team currently to be good at that. And, They've tried to teach him. Multiple coaches have tried to teach him. This isn't working. It's a great point you're bringing up with personnel and shot blocking because you're right. You're not going to turn someone into something that they're not, especially if they're well into their NHL careers. They're established in what they do and more specifically what they don't do. And it's a point that Jason brings up all the time that a few years ago when the Canucks had a respectable and at times effective penalty kill, who were the guys on it? I mean, two of the most prominent ones were Alex Edler, and Chris Tanev, who blocks shots among the best with defensemen in that regard in the NHL. And it is tough to go from guys like that to a totally different crew who don't do that naturally or intrinsically. And that's why I go back to it might not be a coaching or a strategy or a want or will type thing. It just might be a personnel thing. No, for sure. And listen, no player is going to be Ryan Johnson just sprawling out there and blocking everything right, and right, right. absorbing it, right? Like. And that's, that's the reality, and that really makes you appreciate what Ryan Johnson was when he played because he did it all the time. However, if you look at some of the moves that they've made, too, and I think the hope was that Curtis Lazar could be that type of player yep. where you're playing a bit of a power kill maybe and, and he can be aggressive. That hasn't panned out, um, and that hasn't been a success where you know, there's some good things about Curtis Lazar's game, but you hope penalty kill would be a big part of that. That hasn't shown to be true. So even when they have made those personnel moves where they think they've hit a home run, and it's a cheap contract, for the penalty kill, it hasn't worked. So I look at the offseason and say, okay, how can you address that? Because the Alex Edler example is a great one, right? Alex Edler at some point realized that, all right, the way that I play, you know, stepping into the neutral zone, hitting guys, and really using my body, using the speed that he had early on in his career, that went out the window as he started to lose that mobility, and he adapted his game. Credit to Alex Edler. Now, the question is, can Tyler Myers and can Oliver ekman Larson, most importantly, make that change? I don't see Oliver ekman Larson's game trending in that direction. I don't see him as a guy that's 
willing to sacrifice the body like an Alex Edler was, and definitely a Chris Tanev was. So, you know, you're going to have to bring in those cheaper options. You're going to have to bring in wingers and centers that, you know, when they get an opportunity, that they're, they're willing to charge that shot and close down on it. And, and that's something that this team honestly hasn't had for the last two or three years. So we can blame, you know, whether it was Scott Walker or whether it was Mike Yo or whether it was Brad Shaw for 10 minutes <laughs> who was coaching this team on the PK um, and Travis Green and Bruce Boudreau. But the reality is this also goes towards management, whether it was Jim Benning or Jim Rutherford uh, and Patrick Alvin to bring in the right people because they, they simply haven't been able to do that. And the ones that they have brought in haven't worked yet. Randeep, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of your time in Florida. Uh, enjoy the beach and the nightlife. And, of course, the hockey, the skills competition, and the all-star game. And then uh, best of luck when you get back at it on Monday. Thank you very much. And uh, sorry about the connection. I'm, I'm, now I know where it works. So I'll, if you need me again this week, <laughs> I'll, uh, I've, I've got an area in the lobby now. Gordon Doc here. Beautiful. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. Yeah, you too. Uh, Randeep Janda, Sportsnet's very own. You'll hear him on the call for the Canucks game. You'll hear him on Sportsnet 650, live from Florida, where he's having a, a great time. This is the uh, this is the hangover day for all the media people, by the way. I like the texter that called him the upstart star in Vancouver sports media. Everyone loves Randy. Yeah. He's putting in work down in Florida. I do Florida. not love And him. then he's got a game right on the, the bookend of this thing, uh, the Monday That's night. the worst part of it all. Monday night game. And and, well, they go on that. They're in that three-game, or it's a four-game road trip right out of the break. But the first three are all the New York, New Jersey teams. And then they go to Detroit. But, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if the things that he's talking about uh, manifest themselves over those first four games, specifically what the penalty kill is going to look like coming out of the break. If only because can't look worse. Oh, he's got different. I mean, Tockett's got different dynamics now. Like I know that he's got free reign though. Literally, she makes. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be for the look, better at his disposal. There's no Horvath. There's no McKayev, and there's no Lane Peterson. They're all gone, right? And I know some of those guys didn't. I'm not even talking about the penalty kill here, but you got a fundamentally different looking team by current NHL standards coming out of the All Star break. Like this is a league that's frozen in terms of transactions and player movement. And the Canucks have had, you know, two noteworthy departures, one less so with Peterson, but two with Mikheyev and Petters, or Horvat out. You've got Beauvillier in. You've got Beauvillier presumably going right into the top six. You've got a lot at play here. Another thing is that they're not going to have a lot of time to get familiar with one another. Tockett's not going to have a lot of time with this new-look lineup. They're going to practice once on Sunday night, and then boom, it's right back into action. Monday, February 6th, that's a 4.30 puck drop hard time uh, in New Jersey against the high-flying Devils. And the Hughes brothers get to go on it. And it's not even like they can practice without Pedersen or anything. They're, they literally cannot. Yeah. He is barred from practicing during the No All-Star one break. can practice until Sunday night at the Prudential Center in Newark. I can't think of a better way to spend your Sunday night than in Newark. It's the crown jewel of New Jersey. That's what they say. That's what I've heard. I'm in Newark. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Final hour. We made it this far. Nothing has gone wrong. Nothing could possibly go wrong. Why did you say that? All our guests. That's the first thing that's ever gone wrong. Everything is possibly going right. Uh, Faber showed up on time for his hit. We thought things were going to go pear-shaped with Randeep because his phone wasn't working, but boom, he fixed it. No, it was a Cromuland hit. Yeah. And now... All the pressure is on Moj to show up and deliver. 
his usual Friday hit. I really want to know what Moj's survival food uh, tactics would be. Yeah, you know what? So when you get him on the phone, before he goes to air, get the idea in his head. Sure. Tell him we're going to ask him this at the end. You guys get to see how the sausage is made. By the way, sausage is too expensive to be part of this conversation. <laughs> um, ask him... And the, the Ask Us Anything, by the way, for those that have no idea what we're talking about, there was an Ask Us Anything right off the hop about an inexpensive food that you could consume with great regularity to, for survival mode. Like this, we're talking not apocalyptic because you probably wouldn't be going to the grocery store at the apocalypse, but um, current grocery store prices, survivability. Right. And so we've had, we've gone down the road of like Sean Gentilly, one of our guests, said chili, right? You could make a cheap chili if you remove. The ground beef portion of it, and you just went with like beans and vegetables and sauce. Uh, you had what pea again? Pea soup, very specific from Laddie. Mm-hmm. Pea soup. Well, it's very and, filling. Yes, which is why I went with it. Right. And we it, had it used to be inexpensive. Faber came on, and he said, "If you buy English muffins in bulk from Costco and do the peanut butter and jelly routine with that, it's a wrinkle on a timeless staple." You call it the elevated PB. The elevated PB and J. And did you did you answer this question? Yeah, ramen or Mr. Noodles. But we had we had the issue of too much sodium. Uh, challenge accepted. Yeah, I like that. What about <laughs> now cereal? Because it's not, it, that's expensive though. Brand name cereal is expensive. Even non brand name I find is pricey. Like it's not cheap. It's cereal is not uh, so cereal's not in the mix. A cheap it's, indulgence. No, yeah. it's, it's not. We talked. I mean, I guess maybe like mm-hmm. bulk oatmeal if you count that as like a breakfast food as cream out there rationing Cre- cream as, of wheat. Yeah, like something. Like, I guess you can get like. Go like that route. So technically, or as if you stu- count that as Stewie cereal, would but... call it cream of wheat. Yes. Yes. Full wheaten. Um, the now I we we went down the eggs road, but don't tell me to break while I'm in the middle of an egg dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> we went down the egg road. The biggest issue there is that eggs not cheap. Not unless you buy your own chicken. A lot of people with their own chicken coops. Yep, I saw that chat, though. Yeah. Um, I do want to throw uh, or top, pour a little liquor out for the humble banana. And a pediatrician once told me that bananas might be clo- the closest thing to the perfect food. Hmm. Yeah. But they're each $10. Right. <laughs> Aren't they going extinct? I heard the bananas are actually going extinct. Uh, yeah, I feel there's... like there's going to be more research required on this one. Well, no, there, there's actually a, a strain uh, going around that kills bananas. and it's We need to fight issue. this strain. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, if you, if you have a, a youngster like you do. Um, she mush, loves bananas. Mushed up banana oh, yeah. is they can those babies can survive forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let me tell you, <laughs> if you just want to give them continuous bananas, they've got enough stuff in them where it's almost close to the perfect food. So there you go. Okay, now we will go to break because I said so. It's the Halford and Rough Show on Sportsnet six fifty.